Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. It makes sense. If we're going to start here, it makes sense to start at the beginning. Hopefully it shouldn't take you a long time to get to Genesis 1. Uh, but we are, we are continuing our series in, uh, entitled Start Here. We're going to get a little crowd participation from you guys. Who in here can tell me who took awesome notes? By the way, someone in the first service didn't just tell us what we talked about, but laid out all three points last week that we discussed in our Start Here series. Who can tell me what we talked about? God is good. God is great. Let us thank Him for our food. That's something else. God is glorious. That's right. We, we talked about God, right? If we're going to start anywhere, we need to start, it makes sense, with the all-powerful God of this universe and to understand who He is. And in light of that, we understand everything else that we are to discuss. But this is a nine-part series, and we're only going five weeks. So our home groups... This week tracked another idea as we talk about a God who is good, who is great, and who is glorious. We need to understand how he reveals himself to us. And so who can tell me, who was engaged and participating in our home groups, who can tell us what we talked about in midweek? The Bible. There you go. Good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do what? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. He probably came up at some point. Sunday school answers. I'm loving y'all softballs here. Y'all are free to knock them out of the park. All right. We talked about the Bible. Specifically, we talked about how God reveals himself to us. In special revelation, we have creation uh, that we'll be talking a little bit about today. But we also have God's word, right? A special revelation to us that it is inerrant and it is inspired, right? And it is, it is profitable in our life to be used. As I was uh, talking with our home group, as I was leading our home group, I, uh, I nerded out for just a little bit on the manuscripts and the autographs and the documents. And, you know, a lot of times we, we have a defense of God's word. We're like, well, why do you believe that? Well, because God's word says it. Well, why do you believe that? Well, because God's word says here in this scripture, uh, but understanding that's, that's not a problem, right? It's not a problem to do that, but God's word as a source sometimes can come under attack. I, I think it's interesting, and I nerded out this last service. I'm not going to nerd out quite as much, uh, but I am a theology nerd at heart. Uh, but you think about other works that were of literature that were around, that were written around the time of scripture around the time of the Bible. You've got things like philosophy, Plato and Aristotle written roughly around the same time that we have about a thousand manuscripts of, of works of philosophy, right? And, but here's, the, here's the, the, the criteria, right? It's not just the number of manuscripts and how cohesive they are, but it's also how long it's been since the first manuscripts were written, right? And so uh, the, the, the first earliest remaining manuscripts that we have of some of these works of philosophy and works of history are something like a, uh, 1,200 years, 750 years, 1,200 years, depending on what you're looking at, between the time that they were spoken by Aristotle and Plato and written and the time that they were actually 
recorded that we have manuscripts of, right? Philosophy. Nobody's, nobody's doubting the historicity of the things that Plato and Aristotle says. Works of histories like uh, Pliny and, and uh, Herodotus and Caesar, Sophocles, some of these works of scriptures, uh, works of history, where we derive a lot of our ancient history from. Less than 200 manuscripts apiece. 750 to 1,000 years after the events that we have the first recorded manuscripts of these things. But nobody's doubting the historicity of some of these works. Literary classics like the Iliad, another work of antiquity written around the same time. We have less than 1,800 manuscripts, a little more, but less than 1,800 manuscripts with the earliest dating of the original manuscripts 400 years after the Trojan War. Yet we get to God's Word. And in God's Word, we don't have a couple hundred We don't have a couple thousand. We have 25,000 cohesive manuscripts that are written not hundreds of years after, but anywhere from 25 years to as much as 150 years after these events took place. When we talk about God's Word... The reason it is under attack is not because there is historical evidence to doubt it, but because of the sin of man and because it makes a claim different than any other work of literature to be the inspired and inerrant word of God. And it's authoritative for our lives. So God has revealed himself But who has he revealed himself to? Today we're going to discuss the creation in which God has chosen to reveal himself to. And in a very special way, God has chosen to reveal himself to man, to me and to you. And so today we're going to build this foundation of who we are. The term that we hear used often is the image of God, that we were made in the image of God, taken from a text that we will read in just a moment. But what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Long story short, theologians agree on this truth. They agree that they don't know. They agree that there's no, it's hard to quantify exactly what it means to be made in the image of God. But today we're going to study what it means to be created in Latin, the imago Dei, in the image of God, what that means and the ramifications it has for our life. John Piper said this, he said, The imago Dei is a quality possessed by man, is not a quality possessed by man. It's not something that we hold and have earned. It is a condition in which man lives. A condition of confrontation established and maintained by the Creator. Not dependent on us, but dependent on Him. The imago Dei, the image of God, is that in man which constitutes Him as one whom God loves. So so the image of God is vitally important. But just like so many things about God that are high and that are unsearchable and unattainable, though they are a great source, we can't quite wrap our heads around exactly 
what it means. But we've got three things that we're going to discuss today. If we are made in the image of God, we are like God in these three areas. The first one is resemblance. There is an idea in which, in the image of God, we were created in the resemblance of God. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as we read. Listen to what it says in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is not an attribute that is only to the male of the species of humanity, but it is male and, f- and female, he created them. And there's two words that he uses there. The, first, uh, the, the second there is the word likeness. The word likeness. And so when we talk about the word likeness, it's the Hebrew word demuth. And it literally means, it is, it is a, a, mostly a physical representation. So being made in the likeness of God is, is like saying that we are physical representatives of what God looks like. Right? Now, I believe that this can be taken too far, but I believe by and large, it, that God looks something like us. Now, we know that God is spirit, right? We know that God is spirit, and so uh, I'm not saying that God is, is constrained in any way to look like us, but I do believe you can't talk about the image of God and at least on the surface talk about a physical representation that we resemble God. But it's like my kids. See, I hear two things when people meet my sons. My oldest son, Cooper, they say, boy, man, he, he really looks like you, right? We favor. We look alike. 50% of, my, of his genetic code is mine, right? We look alike. But here's what I get with Hudson. Hudson, my five-year-old, he is you. And that is absolutely true. My son probably looks more like me than his brother, God love him. We're certainly going to have to. Uh, But uh, he looks more like me. But my son doesn't just bear my likeness in a physical sense. My son is like me in a lot of ways. My son, my five-year-old is stubborn. He is stubborn. You can't get him to do anything that he don't want to do. He can be lazy. And he has the most incredible one-track mind you will ever encounter. That is the only thing that he is thinking about is what is right in front of that kid. He is me. More than just physical, he is like me in personality. He is like me in the way that he interacts with people. He can be a jerk sometimes. He is like me. Cooper, man, he looks like me. But Hudson is me. Right, And so y'all, let's join in together as we pray for my middle child. I'm just kidding. But this is the idea that we have from likeness. Not just 
looking like God, like we have hands and feet and, and arms and legs and a face and two eyes and one nose and one mouth. More, more than just that, but we bear his likeness in other ways. But then there's the word image. And to be made in the image of God is where we are going to camp out today. The word in the Hebrew is tisalim. To be made in the image of God, the tisalim of God, literally means that we are a shadow or reflection. To be made in the image of God is that we are a shadow or a reflection of who God is. And so I went to my house today, this morning. It's still dirty, by the way. I, I should have cleaned it more. I saw that in the first service. I should have cleaned it, but I didn't. Brought out a mirror in our house. I didn't rip this off the wall or anything. This is one that apparently didn't make the cut uh, in our home as my wife is d- doing all of her renovations. Uh, and this was in the garage, so I grabbed it. To be made in the image of God is to be made to be his shadow or his reflection. You think about a mirror. A mirror is tied up in the purpose that it serves. If a mirror is broken, there's no no use for it, right? So what, what do we do with broken mirrors? We throw them away and hope we don't have seven years bad luck, right? Because it's tied up in what it is. When you look at things in your home, pretty things, cute things, Pinterest things in your home, you think, wow, that is so pretty. When you look into a mirror, you look at something different. Sure, we can make a border around it, make it prettyfy, prettyfy it up. Prettyfy, wow, there's a, there's a lick skillet word for you. We can, we can dress it up. But we look into a mirror for a completely different reason. We don't look in a mirror to recognize how pretty it is. What are we looking into a mirror to do? See how pretty we are, right? Will's got a blessed mirror, right? See how pretty we are. It's wrapped up, its importance, its value is wrapped up not in what it is, but what it reflects. And so... This, more than any other decoration in our house, we can spend, some of us, hours in front of this thing. Not to recognize how pretty it is, but how pretty we are. For God to say that we are made in his image. We have value not in the fact that we ourselves are of some infinite greater value than anything else he's created. But he has given us a connection to him that is distinct from the rest of creation. We are made in his image. And so to be made in his image is important because we we understand that we must reflect God. We must reflect him and who he is. But we are like him in our resemblance. When people look at me, it doesn't just say something about me. It says something about God as well. Listen to what James Dobson said. Humankind was created to be a graphic image of the creator. 
a formal, visible, and understandable representation of who God is and what he's really like. You want to know what God is like? Look at man because we are made in his image. And you see, this has profound ramifications for how we live our life. Next week, we're going to talk about the fall. We're going to talk about what, what sin did to the image of God in man. We still bear his image. We still bear his image, but the image is warped and it's twisted. But what does this say about my life? What does my life reflect about the image of God? What does my life reflect about who God is? This is what we are communicating to people. And it's magnified in the New Testament. Because we aren't just people made in the image of God. We're not just image bearers. But God lives within us. So we are the Habitat. We are the abode of God, and what we do matters. What we say, how we operate in our life, what we post matters. It's magnified in the New Testament that we have even a greater connection that's recognized in the New Testament. Do I respond to people the way that God does? If I'm reflecting him, do I respond to people the way that God does? You look at the woman that was caught in adultery. All the accusers, those that would condemn her were around her. Jesus says, you without sin, cast the first stone, and then he starts writing on the ground. I don't know what he was writing. I tend to think he was starting with the high priest, was probably starting to write their sins, right? And there's this pride and that girl. And about that time, they, they decided to skedaddle, right? They got out of there, right? And so, and so he, he says, you without sin cast the first stone. Here's what we realize about that text. There was one there that was worthy of picking up a stone. Jesus himself could have begun the party of murdering this girl, of killing this young girl. But after the accusers left, what did he say to her? Where are they? He said, they're gone. He said, then neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. The one that had the ability chose not to condemn and chose rather to reconcile and redeem. When God sees people, I just believe he doesn't see them the way that we see them. Because we see political party. We see gender. We see race. We see all of these things. And that affects, whether we like it or not, it affects how we view others. But if we are to be the, rec- the, the representatives and reflection and shadow of God, we should view people the way he views them. And there's only two categories. There's those that have experienced his eternal forgiveness 
and there are those that his wrath is focused upon. And when we make the outward expression of our life something other than a reconciliatory effort to win the lost, we are allowing the image of God to twist in people's mind. I tell you what, I'm, I'm going off script. 2 Timothy 2.4. 2 Timothy 2.4. I've got to turn there myself. 2 Timothy 2.4. Turn there. This is good. Where's my Bible at? There it is. People are nervous. The sound crew is nervous. 2 Timothy 2.4. Listen what it says. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Y'all, I, I get it. I know this. Well, please hear my heart. I know this world is bonkers. I get it. But as the reflection of God, my goal isn't to reflect the bonkerness and brokenness of this world. My job is to reflect the glory and the goodness of God. A, a soldier doesn't have time to reflect civilian things because there's wars that got to be won. And listen, y'all, when we... There are some people that I love dearly that I've seen this. And not just in, at North, but just in general. When we see people that bear the image of God and house the presence of God and they make everything they post about politics, they make everything they post about the sinfulness of someone else, we are guilty of the same thing the Pharisees were guilty of. She's, she's worthy to be stoned. And Jesus all along is saying, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. When we make our lives about anything other than the salvation of the lost, how would we expect lost people to act, y'all? When we make our life about anything other than the lostness of people made in God's image, we are entangling ourselves in civilian affairs. We are living for the glory of this world and not the glory of eternity. We are a reflection of God. And furthermore, some of the things that we post and some of the things that we do and some of the things that I am tempted to do and say in doing that, would drive a wedge between lost people and the gospel. And in so doing, it's idol. It's idolatry. It's an idol. It's an idol for us. We are idol worshiping when we make our life about something civilian instead of something eternal. And a soldier doesn't enlist himself, doesn't enlist so that he can busy himself with civilian affairs. Our goal and our plan, our dream is to be about the gospel. Because, guys, redemption is the big picture. Redemption is the message. Don't preach condemnation. Your job is not to convince people of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But when the Holy Spirit pricks their heart, would they even turn to you based on, based on what they've seen in an outward expression of you?
God, help us. God, help us. Does my life reflect? What does my life reflect about the image of God? We're like him in resemblance. Y'all got to listen faster. We're like him, number two, in responsibility. Responsibility. Genesis 1, 28. Ooh, that got worked up. Worked up. All right. And God blessed them. And he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Man was given dominion. He was given responsibility. As God reigned supreme over all creation, God created creation for man to rule over. He created as a mother creates an atmosphere for a newborn child. Got the nursery's got to be just right. And what was good for the last kid's not going to be good for the second and third kid. Well, the third kid, sure. But at least the second kid, right? It's not going to be the same. It's got to be different. We've got new stuff. We've got new things. We've got to get in there. We're nesting, right? As a mother creates an environment for their children to live in and to thrive in, so God created for us an environment to live and thrive in. And then he gave us dominion over it. He says there to subdue it, literally meaning to make to serve. To subdue something is to make it to serve you. Creation was made to serve man first. It was, that was, that it was made, point number one is, God, is, is that it was made to serve man. Now, I believe that this has profound ramifications for how we treat creation Right? If God gave it to us, there's nothing that ticks me off more than when my kid, we've created an environment for them to thrive in, destroys something, right? But then I've created this environment for you to live in, to be a steward of, and you've destroyed it, right? And so there's, and so it does have ramifications for how we treat things in nature, right? Creation, but creation was made to serve man, but secondly, creation was made to glorify God. Creation We live in creation, serving us, but it is for the purpose, ultimately, because everything, God is glorious, right? Everything is for the glory of God. And so there is a way to steward the things that we have been given in a way that brings God glory. Now, we don't want to make it more than it is, but it is important for us to be mindful of those things and to give thought and attention to them. As God lords over all things, man was to lord over the animals and the plants. Man was given work and responsibility that came with this dominion. Adam had to name all the plants, all of creation, all of the animals. God brought them to him, and he named them. I feel like he got a little lazy toward the end, right? Oh, uh, let's see, an animal, animal. What's that animal do? He's eating some ants. Uh, anteater, right? Like, I mean, he got a little lazy at times, but, but ultimately, right, he was naming the animals. He was given responsibility to steward them. Adam was the tone setter for all of created order. Man set the tone. Why? Because God gave him creation to have dominion over. 
Lord over this, uh, reign over this, be a steward of this, and in so doing, you set the tone for all creation. It's why when man fell in Genesis chapter 3, we don't just see man fall. We see all of creation. All of creation took a note from the page of man, and that is why Paul would tell the church at Rome, all creation yearns for the coming of Christ, for him to make all things new. Because as the standard bearer for creation, we blew it. We blew it. And so the whole earth, all of created order, the nursery came with us. But what did he tell them then? He said, be fruitful and multiply. Now, I want you to understand, he legitimately meant have babies. That's what he meant. He meant fill the earth physically with people. As you made in the image of God, this is pre-fall, right, before sin. He said, you, I want you to fill the earth, populate the earth with offspring, right? I want you to do that, right? And that's what he's talking about physically. Look, bear my image and create more image bearers and send them out. Get them out of here, send them out all over the face of the earth. But there's more at play here than just physical having children. Understand that for God to tell Adam and Eve this was a nod to the redemptive plan of history. Because here's the reason. There's no Israel without Adam and Eve having Cain and Abel. There's no Israel without, through the lineage, Abraham being born. There's no Messiah without Jacob Without Israel, there's no Messiah without a physical lineage. And so for him to say be fruitful and multiply was not just nearsighted, but he was looking far beyond creation for when he knew in his sovereignty man would fail and there would have to come a Messiah. So his plan was be fruitful and multiply. Do what I've created you to do and fill the earth. Why? Because it's tied to redemption. But let's look at what Jesus said. As he was leaving man, he was leaving man and listen what he said. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and make disciples. What did he say in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? You will be my witnesses. My witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You know what he was saying? Be fruitful and multiply. What Adam had placed within him was a physical seed to continue to pass along until the Messiah. What Jesus left with his disciples was a spiritual seed. And for him to say, be fruitful and multiply. For him to say, be my witnesses and go and make disciples of all nations. For him to say that was, you go, don't build a physical lineage, build a spiritual heritage. Be fruitful and multiply. Again, as the image of God, we have a responsibility. And in New Testament light, we are not just building a physical line, but a spiritual one. The first Adam was called to increase the image of God physically. It's why in the Old Testament, the worst thing that you could be as a woman was barren. 
That was terrible to be a barren woman. Well, you are a failure. It's why Sarah would allow her husband to commit adultery. She would allow for her handmaiden to go into him because they couldn't stand not having kids. It was, she was a failure. But the second Adam was called to increase the image of God spiritually. Do we live like it is the worst thing imaginable for us having possessed the spiritual seed of God in our life? Do we live our life like it is the worst thing imaginable not to reproduce that? But yet it's the one thing that we put off It's the one thing that we wait to get ourselves in perfect position before we present it or till we know all the answers to all the questions that they're going to ask. It's in the nature of things to reproduce. And having received the Holy Spirit of God, it should be in our nature to reproduce, to be fruitful, and to multiply. Why? Because we have a responsibility given even as early as Genesis. We have a responsibility because we are in his image. We've been given responsibility. As Billy Graham says, we are the Bibles the world is reading. We're the creeds the world is needing. And we are the sermons that the world is heeding. Do they see that in you? And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I stewarding? All that I have been given. In a physical sense, in the spiritual sense, even far greater. Am I stewarding all that I've been given in the image of of God? Are we doing that? Or is his image marred? Have we lost value in the fact that we are no longer reflecting an image of God, but we are trying as mirrors to reflect an image of ourselves? How useless can a mirror that reflects the picture of a mirror be unless you're trying to confuse somebody thirdly and finally we're like him in resemblance we're like him in responsibility but we're like him in relationship genesis 1 31 and god saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good and when and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day he saw everything And behold, it was very good. Very good. A distinctive of man's creation. It was very good. This was the first and the last time in Scripture that man by himself had value in eternity. The first and last time in Scripture that man on his own devices was very good to an eternal and an eternally good God. An eternally great and holy God. Man was good. Man is uniquely designed by God to be in a relationship with him. In the same way that I bear my son's likeness and or my son bears my likeness and he bears my image. In the same way that we do that, we we are drawn together. We're in I'm in relationship with them, right? And so I they are uniquely uniquely made to be in a relationship with me. We share personalities. We 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 share the way we think. The way we reason for all of these things, we were made in the image of God, unique from all creation, to be in a relationship with Him. 
How do we know that? Look what it says in Genesis 3. Turn over a couple pages. Genesis 3, 8. We'll be hitting this more next week, but listen what it says. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, how many of y'all know when God asks a question, he already knows the answer? He knew where they were. Why was, he, why was he calling to them? Where are you? They were late. They weren't making an appointment. Based on this scripture, we can, we can determine that God probably had a practice of meeting with Adam and Eve day after day after day. They just chilled together. They just hung out together in the cool of the day. Why? Because nobody likes walking around in the summertime in the middle of the day. So we'll walk in the cool of the day. We'll chill. We'll hang out. We'll run around Carline or whatever we'll do, right? We'll hang out. And then when Adam wasn't there, Adam, where are you? Where were you? Speaking to his relationship with him. But this relationship is more than just walking with God on a day-to-day basis. This relationship is an eternal relationship. Listen, Genesis 2 Go back a couple, uh, one page. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. He took the Adama, the dirt, the ground, and he made it different from all the other creation. He breathed his breath into his nostrils, the breath of life. Out of Adama, he created Adam. What makes Adama different than Adam? It is only the breath of God. And so he breathed his breath into him, his eternal breath. We are like him in relationship, not just in this world and in our existence that we are limited to, but based upon this, we have an eternal relationship with God. It is made available. We are eternal beings. We are not like our dogs and our cats and the plants. We are like God. We are eternal. And so the stakes are higher. Am I, in your notes, am I living in God as I bear the image of God? If you were made to be in a relationship with him, again, this is pre-fall. The fall jacked that up. But you were made to be in a relationship with Christ. And if you're here in this room today and you don't have that relationship, you're the most important person in this room. Because his relationship is made available to you. It was done through the person of Jesus. That you can be a reflection of God. Not just physically, not in just your attributes and your personality, but you can be a representative of God. Not physically, but spiritually. Right? When he sets up residence inside of you. And so if you don't have a relationship with Christ, please don't leave this room. Don't leave this place. Don't leave the drawing of the Holy Spirit thinking that you'll circle back to it one day. It's the most important thing that I could tell you today is God loves you. He desires a relationship with you. He created you for a relationship. If you will respond to his love today. I build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. But the implication of that, 
that we were made to be in relationship with him for all eternity has implications for you, believer. You know that you'll spend eternity with God forever. But there are other people that you know that are equally made in his image that will not. And so because you're made in the image of God, because your neighbor is made in the image of God, your coworker is made in the image of God, your classmate is made in the image of God, your estranged family member is made in the image of God, we should be about the relationship of God with those people. It is the most important directive of our life. It is the thing that we are about as soldiers of the Most High God. So do we live our life with that priority? I would ask you to bow your head and close your eyes as we enter in a time of invitation. I don't want anything in that I've said today to distract you I know some of the things I've said may not be popular. But as humbly and as a man who's just another beggar that knows where to find bread, as humbly as I can communicate to you, I don't want you to miss the love of God. He has given you his image. He has maintained his image in you despite your rebellion despite our turning away and despite our sin, even as believers. So he loves you. It's time for us to respond to that love. If you need to make a decision for Christ, you need to accept him as your Lord and Savior. We've got counselors that are in this room uh, in the front, my right and left-hand side. If you just would come to the front, walk this, this middle aisle here, You should have plenty of room to navigate around. People come and and let somebody know about the decision that you need to begin with Christ. Or maybe you just need to get some things right. Maybe you just need to uh, recommit your life to Christ. Maybe you need to join uh, arms with us as a church family so that we can continually push one another toward things that are most important. But whatever the case may be, don't, don't, don't neglect decision that you need to make today before an almighty God who loves you and has initiated a relationship with you. You bear his image, you're like him in resemblance. You bear responsibility like him. But he invites you into relationship with him. Father, give us boldness and strength to respond to your invitation. Courage face of the enemy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If that's you and you need to respond, nobody looking around, would you just stand to your feet? Stand to your feet, come to the center aisle, find one of these counselors. Let them know about a decision that you need to make for the Lord today. I'm not going to tear you, I'm not going to drag this time out. If you need to make a decision, I believe the response to Christ can be, should be immediate. I need to make a decision, Alan. Nobody looking around. If that's you, Lastly, if you're watching online, 
We've made provisions for you to respond as well. As Will talked about, 31996, text the phrase North Connect to 31996. We have a way that you can reach out to us there. You can let us know that you made a decision for the Lord. Check that, check whatever box you need to. If you just want to talk to one of us as the pastors, do that. Submit that. We will get it, and we want to be able to follow up with you. For you physically in this room, if for whatever reason you didn't respond, uh, on that Connect card is, an, is a resource for you to respond that way as well. Just turn it into the offering bucket as you go to leave uh, today. Uh, but Father, thank you so much for all that you've taught us about you now about us. Lord, we're valuable only in as much as we reflect a very, immensely, eternally, and inexhaustibly valuable God. Thank you, God, for choosing us to be made in your image. Let us reflect that to a lost and dying world. In Christ's name.